Yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Redefine Print, the show. This is episode, uh, this is season four, episode three, and I got a very, very special guest. I'm really, I'm really, uh, what's the word looking for? Rusty right now, because I'm used to doing a live, so we pre-recording just in case y'all, y'all wondering. I'm, I'm a little rusty with the pre-recording, but we, we got a very special guest here. Um, I want to thank the brother. He's a very good brother. He goes by the name of Nadir Jones. And in case you don't know who Nadir Jones is, is for the past 23 years, Mr. Jones. Y'all trying to keep up with the Joneses. This is one of the Joneses y'all need to keep up with. Mr. Joneses has established a distinguished career in, in, in the heavy civil highway construction, transportation infrastructure, global supply train, and economic development industries. Nadir's expertise also include managing CBRE, one of the world's largest commercial real estate services and investment firms in the Tramel grow company a subsidiary of cbre one of the u.s largest real estate developer developers global supply diversity goals and strategic initiatives to promote the inclusions of minority and other diverse businesses across each corporation's global supply chain mr jones also has, has held roles as deputy director of the regional alliance for small contractors based in new york and also managed the new york mta's regional small business development and mentoring program in addition to managing the New Jersey Department of Transportation's Office of Civil Rights Disadvantaged Business is the Enterprise Program. I almost did it perfectly. We, we I rehearsed it before, but here we go. We going for it, Mr. Jones. How you doing, brother? How's everything going? Everything's good. Thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out your busy schedule to have me. So, um, so yeah, Nadir Jones, I'm the principal of Capstone Universal Group, and we're based out of uh, New York City, uh, Austin, Texas, and Atlanta, Georgia. Um, like the like the Travis was just uh, you know mentioning, I've been in the transportation and infrastructure construction management uh, verticals for the past 23, now going on 24 years. Um, I've managed the civil rights programs and supply diversity programs for four of the top 10 transportation industries in the country. So your port authorities of New York, New Jersey, uh, the MT, New York MTA, New Jersey Transit, and also Washington DC Metro. Um, also in the commercial real estate space, I've managed the global supply diversity uh, initiatives and strategic plans for CBRE, which is the world's largest real estate investment brokerage firm, and also Trammell Crow Company, which is also the U.S.'s largest real estate developer. There you go. Yeah, just in case I missed something, right? <laughs> this ain't just in case I ain't put some respect on your name. So nah, before you I even get into the uh, the interview, <laughs> man, I want to thank you for for coming on, taking the time out of your day to really to do this thing. For me, we've been talking about it for a minute. I feel like it's been over a year. I've been trying to get, we've been trying to set it up to do it. It's been that long on, on as the young folks say, and I'm capping. Yeah, well, you know, schedules, you know, but it's good that we're able to kind of connect and kind of, you know, be able to have this conversation now. So appreciate you having me. Yeah. And I also, I just want to give you your flowers as uh, it's been a cliche to do this because you're one of the few people that I call if I got an idea that I run it by. And you always, pick up the phone for the most part always return the text like nah think about it this way do it that way or even if you got an opportunity like oh this opportunity come up you should i think you should be there books everything man i just want to be you you are in my mastermind circle whether you know that or not you are very you are a very good friend of mine whether you know that or not and it's crazy how we met because we've been in the same spaces over 10 15 20 years and didn't even know each other and then we actually connected online which is crazy Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. So it's just an honor to be here, man. So I appreciate you, man, as an individual and as a businessman, too. So yeah. glad to have known you. 
Yeah, yeah. So before we get into the business, just give a quick people a quick background of where you from, how you got into the space, all that good stuff. Yeah, so I'm born and raised in North New Jersey. Uh, went to college um, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and in, in actuality, this pretty much just kind of fell into my lap. Um, I, you know, I really wanted to pursue a career uh, where I can actually help the community where I live in actually participate in the building of this particular country. So, you know, uh, coming into this space back in 2000, uh, you know, starting off at New Jersey Transit and their civil rights department and just really just managing their engineering and their construction management projects. What I came to realize was, you know, a lot of the individuals that you see, uh, you know, working on these particular projects don't necessarily look like us. So uh, what I decided to do was uh, really get more involved uh, on the bureaucratic and the purchasing the good side at New Jersey Transit to see how we could be a little bit more inclusive with taxpayers' dollars to ensure that local and small minority businesses uh, in the communities where we live and work can benefit from transportation, you know, the inf building the transportation infrastructure within, you know, our respective states and uh, country. Got you. So let me ask you a question because this show is about getting to the fine print of, of uh, whatever people do. So we're gonna uh we're gonna stay high level but we still gonna talk about the fine print um what are what are what are minority business certified businesses and why are they important so you know by definition uh minority owned business at least the term has evolved globally and is slightly different depending on the certifying body but at a very high level what a mbe firm is a uh, a company where ownership of minority individuals or underrepresented group uh, represent at least 51 percent ownership in that particular company um in the case of publicly owned businesses at least 51 percent of the stock has to be owned by one or more of those such individuals and who 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 is considered a minority i, I know it sounds like cliche and and, and but for people that are uneducated about it, because I, I think people don't probably don't understand like how how broad that category is. Yeah. So, again, that depends on, you know, the certifying body and also from a global perspective, what country that you're in. But historically, African-American, Latino, Native American women, uh, individuals with disabilities, veteran owned businesses, those those all constitute what you consider the underrepresented group that are, at least here in the United States, have been presumed um, economically and socially disadvantaged here in mainstream America. Now, of course, globally, uh, that's not always the case. You know, uh, for example, the um, LBGTQ community here in the States is considered an underrepresented group. And, you know, there is a certifi certification body that certifies um, individuals part of that group as a minority. Um, but if I was to take that same definition to, let's say, Pakistan and India, um, that wouldn't necessarily apply because it's actually illegal there in those particular countries. So it depends. Mm. So you said women. So does, does that include all women, some women? I would. That includes all women of all ethnic backgrounds. All ethnic and racial backgrounds. Okay. Uh, well, give, give me like some of the challenges. What are the challenges faced by minority certified businesses? So insofar as challenges is concerned, I, I really think, um, you know, from a purchasing of, 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 of goods or misconception of minority minority owned businesses, can they actually deliver? Can they actually perform a job safely on time and on budget? And um, whether you're in the corporate sector or you're in the or in the private or in the public sector working for a government agency, 
um, at the end of the day, you're trying to really have drive some type of cost savings. So um, there is a particular unconscious bias internally with certain state, federal, and corporate entities. Um, but typically, that unconscious bias, whether or not an MBE can't perform and deliver a job, is uh, one of the historical barriers. Got you. All right. So let's let's go go back because I I think we talked about minority business certified. So let's. I know this is. I'm trying to walk the audience too, because I know we know this stuff, but we should get to the mm -hmm. audience. So let me know if I missed something. You go back and let me know. I'll let you know if I miss something. You missed something. But uh, explain the difference between a per a, a minority owned business and a minority a minority business certified business. So you can be, you know, part of the presumed group here in the United States that's considered, you know, an underrepresented group, start a business, um, manage the day-to-day -day operations of that particular business and still be considered a minority. However, um, the certification part comes in because you have certain entities who have certain targets and goals within their capital budgets or, or within their revenue budgets that uh, they're looking to spend diverse supply to supply chain and spend their revenue in a more inclusive manner. Um, how they track that metric is really based upon uh, a certification. Uh, this particular certification, and there's several of them out there, uh, but they range anywhere from the federal government level to the state to the municipal level, all the way down to internally to a corporate level where they go through a process uh, to substantiate that they are that they are minority. Um, they're part of one of the uh, identified presumed groups and they manage the day-to-day -day operations and can perform and deliver jobs safely on time and on budget. Good, good answer. And I just want to highlight that you got to be, you got to manage the day-to-day -day operations. You can't just be on, you can't just be 51% owner on paper and think you're going to, you're going to get that certification. You might get it initially, but they're going to come for looking for you when they, when you, when you get that audit, when you get that audit. Cause I know a lot of people, they, they just want to throw a woman on, on as the owner or a black face as the owner and think they're going to get over the, the government is cracking down on all that type of stuff. Can you speak, can you speak to that issue? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you have something that's running rampant and actually it's been running rampant for maybe the past really I wouldn't say 25 to 30 years where, you know, obviously these programs have projects and contracts that are set aside for these for these particular type of firms um, where there's a lot of fraud going on. So to kind of give an example, and it happens a lot with the women owned businesses, um, whereas you may have a, a, a non-diverse individual that owns a company, let's just say a white male. Um, engineering company he's he's owned 100 of the company he has the pe license he's he's run this business for 30 years um but he wants to take advantage of these particular set aside projects so what he does is he pretty much um divests about 51 percent of his company and puts it in his wife's name um who may not have the technical expertise or the experience to actually run the day-to-day -day operations of an engineering firm so on paper um, it may look as if the woman has 51% ownership and control of the company, uh, whereas the husband is the minority owner. But when you look at the day-to-day -day operations and technical expertise and how much time she dedicates to the firm, um, she doesn't necessarily have those credentials. So um, there are audits that happen, especially on the state and government and federal level, where uh, they really audit those type of applications to ensure that uh, the, the firm that's applying for this particular status is true and indeed part, uh, ran, run by a particular individual from an underrepresented group. 
So in case y'all missed it, if y'all doing that or you think about doing that, that's fraud. <laughs> you know that's illegal, right? <laughs> yes. So one of the things is when you do sign off on an affidavit to yep. submit the application, you are signing off under the penalty of purging yourself. Purge, and if you, yep. So if you do, uh, if you are found to be a front, you know, that particular certifying body does have an option to uh, pursue legal action against you. Exactly. So I'm glad you did it. I was the lawyer in the room this time because I tell people all the time, they be like, nah, you just don't know what you're talking about. You know, you know, everybody got the 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 get rich quick scheme going on, but this is not what that is. So yeah, yeah. so uh, as you, the key word that is fraud and right. And so they are cracking down on it. So there's also been a, a lot of stuff going on that came down with um these recent Supreme court cases. Um, you want to get into that? Or how is that going to affect um, these, the 8A pro let's talk about the 8A program. What is the 8A program? So the uh, the 8A program is a federal certification program that was um, implemented by the SBA, which is the uh, U.S.'s Small Business Administration. Um, started off as a seven-year program, but then it expanded to a nine-year program where you where you can actually apply for a particular status as a minority or woman-owned business, and you could participate on federally owned funded projects um, um, to meet their uh, MBE goals and requirements. Uh, the special thing about the 8A program is, you know, in the Travis, you know this, uh, when you're bidding government work, everything is a competitive bid, right? So you need at least three or more vendors to participate in a particular uh, request for a proposal or, or invitation for bid uh, so they can compete for that particular business. Um, with 8A, um, there's that, but then there's also an opportunity where uh, you can win contracts through what they call a sole source. Um, so for an example, if I'm the New York MTA and we're looking to retain uh, a law firm to manage all of our legal issues, instead of going through a competitive bid, I can just call the Bethea law firm and just say, hey, Detravius, you know, this is our scope. This is, uh, you know, the services that we need for you to uh, implement. If we retain you, um, just give us a quote. It doesn't have to necessarily go out for competitive bids. So the 8A program is really um a vehicle for you to grow and scale your business um through social source awards and through other contracting opportunities with the federal government at a very fast pace um and you also have nine years to do that got you and um as i was uh go was as so we had to rewind so to go move forward so there's been there's been some cases that are, that have come out you've been on top of it. you actually told me about yeah. it because i was i was aware of it brought on a broad schedule schedule yeah broad vision of it i didn't do the deep dive until you sent it to me um explain like uh some of the consequences to some of these cases that are coming about that's charging that's that's challenging um diversity challenging affirmative action how does that affect uh minority business enterprises in the 8a program so you know very high level in regards to the case there was a particular court case um in the state of tennessee if i believe and there was uh what was ironic was that the firm that actually sued the sba was a woman-owned business white women-owned business uh, which you know women are considered part of that presumed group that have been socially and economically disadvantaged historically through the u.s however um that particular firm um, and I don't think I'm, you know, privy to say, who, you know, the name, you know, the name of that particular firm is they wanted up suing the SBA um, under the under the presence that, you know, the, the 8A program was a form of reverse discrimination. 
um, ultimately just thinking top of mind, um, this particular firm was probably making close to about 37 to about 40 million. I'm not sure if that was their annual gross revenues um, mm -hmm. overall or just the business that they were getting through the SBA 8A program. But that be, be that as it may, uh, they were making about 37 to 40 million. And it appears that they were losing some of that business to other minority businesses that were um, also participating in the 8A program. So for them, they felt that, um, um, you know, being quite frank, you know, you know, they were taking food off of their table. So they wind up suing. And then the end result was the Supreme Court, uh, you know, investigated the 8A program and winded up um, striking that particular program uh, down or at least suspending it. Um, until further notice. Mm. Got you, which is interesting. Like you said, it was a, a white woman-owned organization, right? <laughs> that 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 filed yeah. a lawsuit, and that um, I potentially, I guess, won the lawsuit really because if they struck it down, said it's unconstitutional, they technically won. So, yeah. what would be like the? Because all right, let me let me ask a question. I don't know if you don't get fired. Don't get fired. What what? ethnic group or, or demographic benefits the most from these minority business enterprises, uh, these set aside programs. So, you know, I mean, this is all public information and, you know, if you were to take a look at, um, you know, out of all the represented groups that are presumed economically and socially disadvantaged, um, here in America who benefits the most from these programs, um, it is white women. Um, mm. it's, it's public information. It's out there. Um, they win the majority of the contracts, um, and they, they lead the pack. Gotcha. So that's, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to get fired myself. Even though I work for myself, I'm going to go say something. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not going to get fired. We trying not to get cancer. So, uh, so what, what are like the, uh, equivalents Just say, like, if you do, cause I know you super familiar with New York and New Jersey. What yeah. are like the uh, the the equivalent programs in New York, New Jersey to the 8-8 programs? So, I mean, you have several programs. You know, the state of New York has their own um, internal MWB program. Um, so really their capital budget, I think their particular goal is at 30 percent. Um, and I think that that goal was implemented by Governor Cuomo uh, years ago. Um, and it's probably going to increase, you know, fortunately, it's going to increase, you know, uh, next year or the next state fiscal year. Uh, but then you have other New York and New Jersey state agencies and other, and other private corporations, too. And we can talk about the private corporations also that have their own internal MWBE or Supply Diversity Goals. So we're talking about the uh, New York MTA. Obviously, I manage their program. Uh, you have the New York City uh, School Construction Authority. Um, who who builds all the school, you know, all the high schools and and and, and elementary schools within the city? Um, you also have the New York Department of Transportation has their own MWB program um, in regards to all the heavy civil highway construction uh, projects that they have going on. Um, and also, you have the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey has their own internal minority and women-owned business program, also. And as you know, the Port Authority, you know, they manage um, all the bridges, tunnels, highways, and airports. Um, in New Jersey and New York, New York. So whether it's JFK, LaGuardia, Newark Airport, um, all of those state, they manage all the, all of those um, um, locations. And this just to have to get the people, just to, just to let them get them a broad general 
uh, perspective of how much money we're talking about. How how much? What are their budgets? What what type? How much money are they so, giving out in contracts? I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, in tens of billions of dollars, right? So New York MTA, you know, with it, with it. you said billions with a B, right? Correct. With a B. So, for example, you know, during my, the, the eight years at the, at the New York MTA, our capital budget was about thirty-three billion. It's probably up to about fifty billion right now. Um, Port Authority's uh, capital budget is probably somewhere around fifty billion in themselves too. And then, you know, the state of New York is probably close to about you know fifty to maybe a hundred billion, you know, on their own. So it's a, it's a lot of money in New York and New Jersey, and so far as um, the purchasing of of goods and services. Got you. So, um, so this is billion with a B, people. In case you didn't know, I I, I did a quick math. I I, I calculated over one hundred and fifty billion already, just in yeah. New York, New Jersey area that he was saying. So this is a a worldwide global thing. We just talking about two states in the United States, yeah. And we not even talking about one on the federal level. Um, but if a person, so let's 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 rewind just a little bit to move mm -hmm. forward again. Um, so if a person wants to get there. They're minority, they, they they fit in the class and they want to get their minority business enterprise from a broad general general way because everything is obviously specific to the person and the place of where they're at. What yeah. do what things do they have to have in place to get the minority um business enterprise certification? Just say for like whatever state you wanna you wanna use as an example. So it, it depends on each state. Some states require that you're in business for a certain amount of years. I know in the state of New York. Um, you know, they prefer you to be in business at least two years um, and to have some type of presence presence within the state insofar as an office and things of that nature. Uh, but typical, you know, business documents, articles of incorporation, three years of tax returns, three years of financials, uh, corporate bylaws, operating agreements, resumes of all principal owners, um, so on and so forth. Got you. Um so with that, with that, so with that going forward, so that's that's to get the certification, and they use the certifications for both public. We talked about public and private. So what's going on the private end? Like, how do you get involved in on, on a private sector? With, once you get your minority business um, enterprise certification, so you have you know certain Fortune five hundred corporations such as the Coca Colas of the world, the Googles, the Microsofts, so on and so forth, that. Um, you know, they purchase goods and services too. And obviously they have very hefty budgets and um, they're looking to diversify their supply chain also. And they're looking to include more minority women-owned businesses that think that could provide sustainable and more innovative products into their particular supply chain, especially if it's going to drive uh, more competition and cost savings. So um, I can talk to you in regards to CBRE back in 2021, they made a public commitment um, to diversify their supply chain by $3 billion by 2025. Um, okay. And this is something that, you know, their C-suite executives have embraced and that they're taking very seriously. And then obviously um, with that type of public commitment, their competition, uh, who they compete with uh, globally in that particular space, also want to do the same thing too, right? Uh, because a lot of the clients are asking for this. Uh, to give you an example, um, I'm working on a project right now in Dallas with the airport uh, mm. where uh, Trammell Crow, which is one of the developers that I work with, um, 
um, broker to deal with them to uh, do some interior fit outs on some some buildings, you know, on the on the airport premises. Um, and it's a two hundred million dollar contract. And um, one of their things or one one of their uh, uh, mandates that they wrote into a particular contract was 30 percent of that 200 million had to go to some type of minority women-owned business so when you do the math you're talking about 60 million dollars so um if they weren't able to meet that particular goal they never would have won that particular contract probably one of mm. the competitors would have got you got you so we talked about the minority business so let's flip to the other side because it's, it's all business right so let's talk yeah. about the non-minority business so what how how do they get into the minority business certified business if you're let's say coca-cola how would they get into the the business of hiring minority um business enterprises certified business enterprises well you got to look at it from this particular standpoint you know you want to use coca-cola as an example i mean how many buildings do you think coca-cola owns across the globe right um somebody has to clean those buildings right Mm -hmm. uh, how many janitorial services firms do you, do you think that are minority owned can benefit from that? Uh, somebody has to manage their property, right? Uh, how many minority property managers you think could grab a building or two um, and have Coca-Cola as a client just managing their property or doing facilities management for that? Even if mm -hmm. it's something as supplying cooler water for certain locations, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're a supplier of, of, of water, um, who's to say that you can't, you know, use Microsoft and, and just um, provide, you know, water to their offices across, you know, a particular region or nationally or across the globe. Got you. So how can these organizations like so? So essentially, these these organizations are trying to build a more diverse supply chain. Right. So yeah. how, how, what, what would it what be some best practices for, say, like a Coca-Cola to get um, a, a, a more diverse supply chain? Well, I think it's really about just, you know, finding your pool of women owned and minority businesses um, that can, um, you know, provide the service for you. So I think one of the initial things that corporations should do is really just identify what their key categories are insofar as where the majority of their spend is going for. So is it general contracting? Is it engineering? Is it janitorial services? Is it, you know, uh, mechanical, electrical and plumbing, so on and so forth. And if there's a gap in so far as, you know, uh, you don't have enough diversification in those particular verticals, that um, would make sense to start really supporting um, a lot of these advocacy bodies that actually certify these particular firms in these particular type of scopes. So we're talking about the National Minority Supplier Development Council where the national office is in New York and they have 22 chapters across the country or uh, becoming a corporate sponsor of the National Association of Minority Contractors, or really just supporting maybe a small business's local chamber of commerce, whether it's the African-American Chamber of Commerce or the Latino Hispanic Chamber of Commerce or a Women's Chamber of Commerce. Uh, all those members are business owners who have that type of status that are probably more than willing to participate and when work with uh, that particular corporation or agency. Got you. So just so like we can have a little bit of fun with it. Like what's like uh like give me if you know off top of your head, like the like the million dollar contract for something, you just be like, what they want a million dollars for 
paper clips? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, it really can be that. I, I've seen yeah. projects like that, whereas, you know, there, there was a client that may have hired staples to provide paper and paper clips, but part of that particular contract was, well, hey, staples, if we're going to pay you $30 million over the next three to five years, we want to ensure that at least, you know, a certain percentage is spent with uh, a, a diverse arm business that provides the same services that you that you also do, so we can in, in, in integrate them into the into the supply chain. And then one of the things that you know us being the client, what we'll do is we'll make we'll ensure that we'll track that met that metric to ensure that you're actually delivering that particular uh, target and goal. Nice, nice, nice. So I, I, the reason I asked you that question because you know I'm a lawyer, obviously. And on my yeah. end, you, you you know, I, I tell clients they got to think about like when you're dealing with a business. So a lot of people think business is easy because everybody want to be a boss and all that type of stuff. Right. Yeah. Nowadays. But think about business like businesses need everything. So when you walk into an office or a building, like all that stuff was purchased and maintained by somebody. Right. Yeah. So it's like you don't necessarily got to go for necessarily the home run contract and say like you're just trying to build. You're trying to get a construction contract for a hundred million dollars right you could just yeah. you could just supply them with like you said uh water you know what i'm saying and that could be that could be a hundred thousand dollar contract for you yeah. and you know four base hits still get you home run you know what i mean yeah yeah and, and and for the private sector is you know once you get your foot in the door and some you know and it could be something as small as a one hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand dollar job but you know in the private sector you know um um if, if, if you're used and you deliver the project on time and on budget, um, typically the procurement official will tend to stay with you, right? Mm. They don't like to switch over vendors quite often. Uh, public sector, um, you know, every couple of years, everything still has to go out for competitive bid because you are utilizing taxpayers' dollars and it's public money. Um, but still, you know, if you win a, you know, water bottle contract for three three to five years you have three to five years just with one client um you know making a certain amount of money and profiting from that one particular client so if you had 10 clients doing that you know you can do the math got you so um so beyond that because i always tell people like you know to hire professionals right so the professionals mm -hmm. are um the consultants the professionals are mm -hmm. The lawyers the professionals are the cpas so um and like i know it, it sounds crazy coming from a lawyer because nobody everybody hates paying lawyers right everybody hates lawyers until you need a lawyer but like yeah. so what would be like a ballpark figure say i'm a minority business enterprise i'm coming to you at to the capstone group and yeah. you're going you're, you're consulting you're, you're charging me a consulting fee like what would be like the 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 minimum amount of of budget that you that they should have for setup with the budget including lawyer fees cpa um consultant or whatever other fees you want to put in there what would be like a ballpark figure i mean that they should you know that 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 you know travis that that that's going to vary right okay. um you know one that's going to vary because you know if you're a firm and your gross revenues are a million right an accountant or an attorney is going to charge you different or a consultant is going to charge you different for their for their services if you were a 50 million dollar minority business right mm -hmm. because it's just you know more effort and more time and more paperwork and you know uh you know 
other minute things to look at. So it really depends, right? So, and it really depends on the size of the company, what the company does, what their um, um, target is, what their goals are, short-term and long-term, so on and so forth. Got you. I ain't like that answer. <laughs> but the reason, the reason I wanted you to, to give people a, a, a feel, so... Um... But I will say this though, I, I do think that no. it's very important that um, one, you have an accountant mm -hmm. because financials are very important. And um, I don't care if you're doing work with the federal government, state, mm -hmm. a local municipality or a private corporation, um, they're going on to take a look at your financials um, to see you know, where you are as a company. Do you have the capacity and bandwidth to deliver? Uh, the other thing is, I, you know, shameless, you know, to plug you in is it's very important to hire an attorney too. Uh, you know, the 23 years that I've been doing this, um, you know, just working with, you know, small businesses in general, uh, you know, it's a 24 seven, it's not a nine to five and, and, you know, and it is a hustle. And, you know, when you get that first contract, um, a lot of times small businesses are just so excited to, to win that particular contract. They just sign off on the bottom line and don't necessarily read through the contract. So then, you know, um, they may win, but they may not, you know, be aware of certain insurance stipulations or uh, payment clauses that are in that particular contract. Um, and they wind up getting jammed up in the end, um, especially when it comes to the government. Right. Because. Um, if you're a subcontractor or subconsultant to a to another business that's working directly for a client, and if the agency says, "Hey, we pay every 90 days," um, then you need to know that. And um, and if you don't have the line of credit or the cash flow to float the job and to to make payroll, um, because you know you're not going to get paid in 90 days, it could put you out of business. So uh, those two people I do recommend, just from a general business perspective. Hire an accountant and hire an attorney. So you stole my fire. So I didn't. I the answer was good. The reason I didn't like it is not because of you. It's because of people in the outside world, right? So just yeah. say they come to me and I'm like, all right, it's gonna cost you. Just say I'm gonna just keep numbers, uh, keep numbers simple. Just say it's gonna cost you ten thousand for me to yeah. review and put review, had a team review everything we need to review for this this potential multi-million dollar contract over years right yeah. like they will like i'm not paying you this i'm not like they will they will you know they will shut down and do whatever they go to get somebody cheaper or don't get anybody at all and then like you know they get the contract and like you stole my fire a little bit they all that fine print stuff read the fine print start yeah. and then like you're not getting paid to 90 days like if yeah. you now you 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 got this contract. You think you're gonna you're gonna well it's four million dollars, but you're not getting paid until ninety days, right? Every yeah. ninety days you paid after you delivered the service. So it's like if you but because you were so you didn't want to pay the ten thousand and you do the ten thousand on the million is well less than one percent, right? It's like this is less than one percent of your entire budget that you're about to win, but you don't want to invest that because you yeah. think it's too expensive. But now you lost. Either you got the contract and now you can't keep up the contract, you go out of business, but now you lose the contract because you didn't cross a T or dot the I that an attorney or CPA or consultant yeah. would have went through and said, nah, you need this, you need that. Do you think you could do this? Do Can you handle that? And it's rather than know to be out, in my opinion, the 10000 versus you be out of business, period, because you can't make payroll for the 90 days uh, while you float while you floating all the expenses before you get paid. Yeah, so that's why it was it was a good answer, but I didn't like it because 
it, 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 it. But you, you, you brought it back. I, I gave you the alley. You, you did on your, your LeBron joint, not Jordan. <laughs> it's <inside. laughs> <laughs> so dunked it in. It was like, yo, you really need people to, especially like CPAs and lawyers. You really need them to really look through your documents. Yeah, that is that is the thing that separates a lot of people from, you know, yeah. from taking it to the next steps. Like, you can't be cheap when it comes to those people, in my opinion. Yeah, nah, nah, I concur. And you know, when it comes to the accounting standpoint, um, you know, financial management, you know, I think is you know one of one of the. the, the the greatest things that I think a business owner can really educate themselves on, um, you know, just for the fact that, you know, historically access to capital has always been an issue for small businesses in general. So, I, you know, I think it's imperative for, you know, especially if you're a minority business to develop a relationship with the bank or with, um, you know, a minority, a minority owned bank. Um, uh, and have that relationship. So when you do run into an opportunity, you know, uh, you already have that established relationship, you're bankable with them, um, and they may be able to provide the insurance and the bonding, you know, with you uh, once you have that relationship. Got you. And we're coming to the end. Um, so if there's anything that I missed or that you want to add on that I didn't get to, please, please tell the people now. No, I'm good. I just think, you know, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, um, you know, the small business community, if, if you're new to this type of arena or this industry, it's just to know that it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it's a lot of uh, networking. Um, you know, a lot of it's about who you know, not necessarily what you know. Um, you know, again, I've been in construction management for, you know, uh, 23 years. And, um, you know, to give an example, when I was at the regional Alliance, when I was a deputy director there, you know, we had, you know, LaGuardia, JFK terminal one and terminal six. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, it, the client at the time is Acom Hunt, which is the largest engineering firm in the world. So, you know, as a minority business, you know, it's imperative that you know who the movers and shakers are um, for when they are passing down this type of work that you can participate and actually, uh, you know, create wealth and, and, and scale your business up with. So uh, definitely, definitely network and try to get to know who the decision makers are um, within that particular organization that you're trying to pursue. Got you. So it's Acon Gump. I don't a know, whatever. It's um, A-E-C-O-M. A-E-C-O-M. Yeah, now nah, I see it. I see the logo all the time. I wasn't. I don't yeah. think I was putting my house in the Acom though. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was doing that. But um, all right. So tell the people where they could find you at. So yeah, um, if you're a small business and you're looking to get certified, or if you're just looking to pursue certain state or federal clients or or different Fortune 500 clients, you can reach me at Nadir Jones. Well, actually, you can reach me at um, info Capstone Group. LLC at gmail.com. Shoot me over an email. Um, we can schedule a call. We'll determine what your short term and what your long term goals are, uh, what client pursuits that you're looking for. And then we'll do our best of our ability to assist you in your uh, pursuit. Got you. And, and everybody, thanks again. This is, has been another episode of Redefine Print the Show. I wish I had to, I got to get step my game up to have the clapping um things for for the guests Mr. yeah Nadir jones and thank you again for just being uh taking the time out of your day to do this and just being a good 
overall friend and brother to me. Whenever I call you, like I said, you always you do better than me because I might I might call some a joker back at 48 hours. You call back a couple hours, at least when it <laughs> come to me. I don't know what he's doing with y'all, but when it come to me, he hit me like, yo, I'm doing this. I'll call you right back if he's not taking the call. But thanks again for being you. Thanks again for giving people information. And as always, if you like this content, please like, rate, review, think about um becoming a sponsor. The episodes are gonna come out more uh regularly we're going to be more consistent with it and me and the dead jones we also have some other things coming up that we will highlight in a future maybe episode or a course or who knows so until the next time people peace